Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, on this episode of the When to Jump podcast, it gets personal. I'm interviewing my brother-in-law, Tim Hayde. Tim is a U.S. Air Force veteran and graduate of Stanford Business School. He is an almost management consultant and is a current uh, clean tech energy small business owner and operator and uh, executive. Tim will share with you a couple things. <laughs> One, how he met my sister, which for no other reason is is definitely worth listening to this episode. I promise you it's one of the best how we met stories you will ever hear. Uh, so much so that the New York Times covered it twice uh, the year that it uh, happened. So there's that. Uh, but I think more uh, relevant to the when to jump community is Tim talks a lot about risk and what it was like trying to get a new identity. Uh, he spent years in the military, uh, in intelligence, uh, on tours in places like Somalia and Iraq and across the Middle East, Africa, all over, and decided that uh, at some point he wasn't going to be a military man forever. And that kind of push and pull of wanting to leave but also being pulled back to that identity that the military crafted for him uh, is, is really interesting to, to hear him walk through and why ultimately he left. And as he describes, you know, why he isn't living for his resume anymore. He made some pretty stark decisions, um, turning down some pretty top-line offers to go into a small business and take a chance on changing the world and, and going headfirst into the industry around uh, clean tech and saving the environment and climate change and all these things that uh, I think a lot of us think about and Tim has, has chosen to try to take uh, head on. So besides being my brother-in-law, he's a, a really compelling guy and I think a very honest person. Uh, he'll give you a very candid take on his jump that is by no means complete and, and successful. He is in the throes. Uh, he and my sister just welcomed their first baby, uh, Will Hayde. Shout out to Will. He is seven months old um, and already weighs uh, a good <laughs> a good lot and will be a big boy, maybe even play uh, lacrosse like Tim did in college. Um, so anyway, I think you'll enjoy the conversation, Tim's honesty, his remarks on what it means to take risk and why he's doing it, what it means to start over and form a new identity. Uh, and stay tuned at the end of the episode for one of our listeners' jump stories. As you know, we're now featuring a jump story from someone in the audience every, every episode at the end of the episode. So if you've got a jump story you want to share, you can just record it by audio note and send it. Uh, it's just when to jump podcast at mcmillan.com. Be sure to tune in to the end of the episode for one of our features. All right, that's enough from me. Enjoy this conversation with my brother-in-law and energy entrepreneur, Tim Hayde. Uh, so wait, before we get going, you got to tell folks how you met my sister. Yeah, so it was uh, Halloween 2012. Uh, I went out to a bar dressed as Robin. My friend was dressed as Batman. And uh, I ran into a young lady who was also dressed as Robin. And uh, we got to talking and it just so turned out that uh, 
I was talking to my wife. And so uh, now we are uh, happily married and Mike's an uncle to our, uh, our newborn baby. I don't know, man. Life is good. We're excited. Well, if he's anything like his dad, he'll end up becoming uh, both an intelligence officer and an All-American lacrosse player. Is that right? Honorable mention. That doesn't really count, though. <laughs> it's like a participation award or something. Ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So let's back up. You are from New Jersey. Uh, you Indeed. Up, you are from the great state, the Garden State. You grow up. And what in the world were you thinking of uh, when you decided to go towards the military? That seems like a very uh, clear decision and, and one that probably took some thought. Yeah, you know, it was it was uh, it was actually not as uh, heroic as as one might think. I, uh, as you mentioned, I I grew up playing lacrosse. I knew I wanted to play lacrosse in college. Uh, One of the problems with uh, being a lacrosse player is they don't give full scholarships and I didn't really have any money. And so uh, I wanted to go to a school that was uh, cheap or no cost and had had a good lacrosse program Uh, that basically led me to consider three schools, uh, the Air Force Academy, West Point, Annapolis. Uh, and West and uh, West Point, Annapolis didn't really uh, think I was very good at lacrosse. So I ended up going out to the Air Force Academy. I didn't really know a lot of people in the military. Uh, and my family hadn't really, outside of my grandfather in World War II, hadn't really uh, served before. Uh, and so, you know, in talking to people, uh, it was it was really an enlightening experience, but one of the things they sort of emphasized to me was that the quality of life was really good. And I'll never forget, I met with one guy who basically said, listen, man, it's 2000, like big wars are over. You know, being in the military is a great opportunity, but it's, you know, not that big a deal. It's not that hard. It's not that dangerous. And so I went to basic training in June 2001. And then about uh, three weeks after <laughs> I got out of basic training was 9/11, and uh, changed my life in a lot of a lot of ways. I was just kind of in that in that place already, and uh, and doubled down on it. So it what wasn't just sort of something I stumbled into, but uh, it became a lot more meaningful after after 9/11. Real, my worldview really started to change, and I started to realize uh, what what I've come to believe, which is that. Uh, the United States plays a really important part in the part in the world, and uh, not very many places in the world are as nice as our country is. And in a lot of ways, I, I feel a responsibility, and certainly felt a responsibility when I was in the military, uh, to try to help out people who couldn't really help themselves. Uh, and, and and that sort of become. Uh, an aspect of, of what I do on an everyday basis that really matters to me. Uh, and, and I think that's in large part influenced by the lessons I learned while I was in the service. So 9-11 happens, you get out of basic training, you go where? Certainly on, on my part and the part of my peers, I think there was really uh, a desire to be part of the action. But I was a freshman at the Air Force Academy, so I spent the next four years uh, in class uh, <laughs> And I, I didn't really, I didn't really get involved in in anything relating to the active duty service until I graduated. Certainly not extensively, and it was a little bit frustrating to to not really be able to participate uh, in in anything that was really helping the effort. You know, with with the hindsight of 
of time, I, I can sit back and say that, you know, certainly uh, I don't think I would have been very good to anyone had, uh, you know, they sent me into the action when I, when I was 18. But then certainly the global war on terror overall and, and you know, what came next was something sure. that was an intimate, intimate part of my life for, uh, for a long time. Yeah, definitely. And describe, you, you did two tours in the Middle East and in Africa, you know, without needing to go into great detail. Uh, what was that experience like? You know, many of us don't have uh, that opportunity or that insight or, or that on the ground exposure to you know serving the country or the United States uh, in this instance uh, abroad. What was what was that experience like for you? It was eye opening, you know, and and I think I think in two primary ways, right? Um, the first was. Uh, I was I was not uh, in in any way, shape, or form uh, a hero in the military. I was what they call a behind the wire guy. So you know, ninety percent of what I did while I was in the military was make PowerPoint presentations. But but you know, I was I was co-located with with guys who are literally uh, you know going out and risking their lives for others on a, on a daily basis, and, and just being around. Uh, that type of heroism uh, makes you feel great about where you come from. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about things the military doesn't do well, but um, you know, the U.S. military has a really positive impact in a lot of places in the world. Getting to see that firsthand is something that that, in many ways, influenced the person I am today. Um, and, and sort of made me want to be better because I was around people that were better than I was all the time. And then the second thing I think that was that really came from those experiences was a sense of belonging to the world community. You know, I spent time in, in the Middle East. I spent time in Africa. And what I realized is that like 95 to 99 percent of people in the world are cool. Right. It doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't matter, right? Where where you where you were born or where you grew up, you know that certainly uh, dictates the way in which you're cool. But most people in the world are just looking to you know sort of have a good life and and for to to make a better life than they had for their kids. I mean that's a common thing that I think a lot of people share. And until you're in that environment, you don't really realize it because. You know, you watch the news and the only thing you hear on the news is like the, you know, very small fraction of, of uh, the, the population that does crazy stuff. And I think the lesson I took from it is uh, we're all really connected. And, and just because we have different nationalities or we have different life experiences growing up, you know, the things we want are, are basically all the same. And I think it should be a lot easier for us to all get along than it currently is. I had a very different opinion when I came back um, from those experiences than I did before I went. At what point did you start to think, okay, now you know now your worldview is changing. Uh, with it becomes your your professional and career aspirations changing as well, right? My, I, I knew pretty early on in my in my military career that I didn't want to make it a career, right? I didn't, I didn't, it's not something I wanted to do for 20 years. And, and the reason is in a lot of ways selfish, which is just no matter how you slice it, being in the military is a sacrifice. Um, it, it's hard and it's 
super inconvenient and you know in it's sometimes dangerous and for certain people it's a lot of the times dangerous um and it's just not something i wanted to do for my entire life um i was i was totally comfortable uh knowing that i was going to do this for you know five to six years and then i was gonna i was gonna go do something else and uh and so the when to jump part for me was actually fairly simple and it was something that um i just kind of knew i wanted to do for a long time um the hard part for me was the actual jump right Unfor unfortunately when to jump didn't exist uh, <laughs> in 2010 when i was doing this and i didn't know that w what happened after i jumped was was the difficult part and in a lot of ways it, it, the difficulty was just it didn't go according to plan and I was kind of lost. I mean, I tell people all the time the the hardest two years of my life were the two years after I, I left the military. Wow. And in a lot of ways, right, like they were all they were also in a lot of ways the easiest years of my life, right? I mean, I was in grad school. I, you know, had a lot of work to do, but not relative to before or after I was in grad school. Sure. Um, you know, I was around great people and I was meeting you know, meeting amazing people all the time and building great friendships, but I was just lost. And I think, you know, the big thing for me was, you know, when I was in, when I was in the military and I don't think I realized it at the time, but certainly towards the end when I had kind of gotten into some more senior positions, you know, the stuff I was doing on an everyday basis really mattered. Um, you know, I, w I was having an impact on people and um, when I did my job well, I was having a really positive impact on people. And uh, at, a, at a scale that honestly, I still haven't, you know, come close to doing that in my civilian life to date. You know, uh, the last assignment I had in the military, I was in East Africa and, you know, I was routinely, uh, you know, working with, with national governments get things done and, and we did some good stuff. And um, I didn't, I don't think I, I realized how valuable that was at the time or how much I, I, that mattered to me at the time. And so I left and uh, you know, I thought that I could have it both ways, right? I thought, you know, I can have the lifestyle I want. I can, I can make more money. I don't have to travel as much. Um, you know, I'll be home for Christmas and Thanksgiving. But like I can still do stuff that that really makes a positive impact in the world. And after I left the military, I realized it wasn't that simple. It was the only period of my life where I didn't have a goal. I didn't know what the next thing was. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I didn't know what I should be doing on an everyday basis in order to, you know, get where I wanted to be. Right. And, and that 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 was really, really, really tough for me. Um, and again, you know, it, it, even though on the surface, it was probably the, the easiest run I've had, um, you know, I, I really think those are the two most difficult years of my life. Yeah, totally. And there's a point where you're leaving grad school and I believe you get a, a very nice consulting offer and that creates this fork in the road. What happens next? Yeah, you know, um, I had, I had been in grad school for a year and a half and it was time to go find a job. And uh, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. 
And so I kind of, you know, there, there were some, there were some great companies that I had opportunities at. Um, and I wasn't really, you know, excited about the work. Um, but I talked to a lot of people and they said, you know, well, going to work for certain firms will be good for your career. And so I went through the process and, and I got an offer and, uh, I, you know, this is something I still feel bad about, but I, I accepted an offer. And uh, that night I, I couldn't sleep. And the reason I couldn't sleep, I think, was because um, I realized that I didn't want to build my resume anymore, right? Um, I was gonna go do this thing just so I had another bullet point on my resume. And so like at some point in the future, someone would give me an opportunity to do what I wanted to do. Right. Once I figured that out. Um, but I, I just didn't want to do that. I wanted to spend, you know, what time I had focusing on uh, figuring out what it was I really wanted to do. And uh, so it just so happened at the time. And, and this is how random life is sometimes that my best friend from growing up uh, had just gone back to his family business, which was like a standby electric generator company with plans on building it into a clean tech company. And uh, I called them that night in the kind of the middle of the night. And I said, listen, like, I don't want to do this job. Can I come work over the summer for you as an intern? Because I know you have like a lot of odd jobs that you need to uh, have done and I could probably do those jobs. And then like in my free time, I'll be able to figure out like a better job for me. And he agreed to do that. And uh, so- Which is like remarkable. I mean, if we just pause there, you were at one of the top business schools in the world with an offer from one of the top consulting firms in the world. And here you are asking your childhood buddy in the middle of the night, if you could spend a summer doing odd jobs for his business, which is just to me freaking cool. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of crazy. And, and you know, the, everything worked out. So it's a fun story to tell. But, you know, I graduated, I had an MBA, I was, you know, supposed to be like, I guess, you know, going out and doing like big deals and making a lot of money. And I spent that next summer making less money than I made in the military and literally <laughs> doing like odd jobs, right? Like my first job was trying to figure out like how to get a billboard put on the property, which by the way, I failed miserably at. Yeah, it's not um, easy. It's, no, not a, it's not a Microsoft Office skill, so. No, you need to have billboard game, but <laughs> I, I didn't have that. So, you know, it was, but, but, you know, in a lot of ways at the time, I thought it was a setback, but it just so happened that, you know, while I was hanging around the office doing my odd jobs, I started to learn about kind of what they were, what they were doing and what they were trying to do. And, uh, I started to get really interested in it because one of the things that stayed with me uh, from my military career was the fact that, uh, and this is the DOD assessment, right? This is how crazy the political situation in our country is right now. But you know, since 2006, 2007, the Department of Defense has identified man-made climate change as one of the biggest national security threats to the United States. It was something that was routinely talked about when I was in the military as something that need to, needed to be addressed. Um, and, and so, you know, th- that kind of stayed with me. I was somewhat interested in, in clean tech and, and sort of environmental stuff 
when I was in school, but you know, between times of not knowing what I wanted to do and having like 47 things on a whiteboard, all things I thought I might be interested in, um, you know, clean tech was one of the 47 things. Um, but you know, I didn't know what I was doing. And so, um, you know, I started to get interested in this while, while I was at my, my buddy's company over the summer. It, uh, this being clean tech and yeah. climate change and what, what we're going to do about it. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, fall, you know, at the end of that summer, I went back to him and I said, listen, like, I think this might be something I'm really interested in. You know, can I have a real job? And, uh, it didn't come easy. And I mean, basically the conversation we had is, you know, you're a smart person and you can do uh, a lot of different things, but like, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know anything about clean technology or electrical engineering or, you know, the things you need to know. So, you know, this isn't a job you can just take and, and be successful at. This is a job that will give you the opportunity, but like you got to put the work in and you got to start from ground zero and you got to build your skill set up because this isn't something you can fake, right? I mean, this is engineering, either the system works or it doesn't work. And, and that's not, you know, something you can make up, right? It's ones and zeros. And so, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to do it. So I took the job and I spent the next year and a half of my life, literally every waking minute, trying to learn. Um, wow. and, and, you know, over time I started to get pretty good at it. And I don't know, probably six months into the experience, I started to believe that at least from a professional standpoint, this is the reason I was put on the earth. Wow. Right? And that's and what you're, it seems like that's what you're looking for, right? That sense of purpose post Air Force. Yeah. And, you know, I, I can think, you know, it's, it, it's really interesting, right? Because I think that feeling is something that is hard to describe for people who haven't found it yet, but makes all the trials and tribulations that you go through to get there worth it, right? Because Right now, as you know, and we could talk about this in a, in a little bit, but I've since made another jump and I started a clean tech company and starting a clean tech company sucks, like however you slice it, right? <laughs> um, it's, it's super hard, it's frustrating. Um, you know, you start your company in October 2016 thinking one person's gonna be the president, another person's the president, that's not good. Um, you know, that kind of thing, it, it, it's really, really difficult, but Every day I wake up and I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Wow. And, and, and the, the, the sense of, of security that, that comes with that is really hard to describe. And so, you know, I think I'm better at everything I do in this industry than I would be in any other industry because, you know, even the things that I really don't like doing, I do because I know it's part of something that, that I really want to be successful at. And, uh, and I really care about. And, uh, you know, that's what I would kind of relay to the people who are considering a jump, right? Which is life is way different when, when every day you're working at something that you think is what you're supposed to be working on. Um, and that doesn't mean you have to start a company. It doesn't mean you have to take like huge amounts of risk, but life's just better when, <laughs> you're doing what you think you should be doing. 
you know, I can vouch for you being your brother-in-law. When I go over to your house, it's like, you know, it's like what everyone says. Well, easy for you to talk about jumping, but you're not married with a kid and blah, blah, blah. And you are. (laughs) I'm not. Like, you are sacrificing a ton. My sister, your newborn, like, you guys are all in this together. And it is a seven-day, 24 hours a day kind of adventure and and journey and kind of uh, trek. And you're in it because that higher purpose. And, you know, maybe it's easy to talk about it loftily when you feel like you found a calling. I feel like I found a calling. Uh, But I think that should not be missed here is that uh, it's not going to be easy and yet it's still going to be worth doing. So yeah, yeah, man, you know, and God bless your sister, because you're absolutely right, right? We started a clean tech company shortly after uh, I found, you know, we, we, we got the best news I've ever gotten in my life when it, when, when your sister told me she was pregnant and, uh, but you know, it's intimidating, right? I mean, we live in New York, rent's really expensive. Um, we didn't have any money, um, you know, in, in terms of a company. So I had to take a huge pay cut to do this. And, uh, the only reason I, I, I've gotten to this point, right. Is because I have a great support network of people, who, who believe in me, right? And in a lot of cases, um, believe in me more than I believe in myself. Um, wow. Cause this, this, you know, this thing, what I'm trying to do, but starting any kind of company it is, is just not fun, right? I mean, there are, I guess, right? Outlier people who tell stories about, you know, I started a company and it was great from day one and like I had the time of my life and then I sold it for a billion dollars and now I do whatever I want, right? And I guess that happens, but like not in my experience. Yeah, not mine um, either. I'm waiting you for know, that I, one. Like the reality the reality of doing it, and I, I don't think it's just about, right, starting a company, it's about pivoting in life, right? It's about, you know how to, you know, you're, you're in your late 20s or your, your early 30s or wherever you are. Or your 40s or 50s, yeah. Yeah, and you, 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 you know, it, right, you, you know how to do some things. There's some things that you're good at, but you don't think that's really what you, you want to be doing or what you should be doing. So you just stop and you go do something else. And, you know, that whole experience, that, that first part is not going to be fun, right? Because you're going to have to take a bunch of steps back. And, and no one ever wants to do that. And, and so, um, you know, I, I think the, the good news is that if you're really doing what you think you should be doing, then it doesn't suck as bad, right? And it doesn't, it, it, it lets you get up on the days where like you really don't wanna go do the things you have to do and do the things you have to do. And I think that's that's critical, right? You know, people call it passion. They call, You can call it by a number of different names. But uh, ultimately, I think when you're doing the thing that you think you were put on the earth to do, um, even when it's really tough and even when it's not fun and even when you have to make financial sacrifices and family sacrifices and things like that, um, it makes it worth it. Yeah. And what would you tell people who haven't found that yet? So, I mean, from I, I don't have any magic answers, right? And I and I think, you know, it's important to note that 
I'm the least successful person you've had on your podcast, right? So <laughs> just, I, I don't. Well, necess- that's very arbitrary in how you define that. I think well, you're very yeah. successful. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. It, thank you. But it, you know, it's. Uh, so I don't know if anyone should take the advice, but I, you know, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. I mean, the best. I, I've kind of thought this for a while, but I, I was reading an article about a year year and a half ago. Um. And they were doing an interview with a guy named Joe Madden, who's the manager of the Cubs. And this was before they won the World Series. And uh, he kind of summarized something I've been thinking about for said, like, don't be outcome-oriented, right? If you're outcome-oriented, you're going to feel pressure all the time, and you're not going to be able to perform. Right. So, like, what you should focus on is – what's the next right thing to do and that's it and if you do that often enough but you win yes right exactly and i and i think i think that's if i could go back you know 10 years and tell myself um you know (laughs) this is how things are going to be easier that that you know that that would be my two sentence blurb because i think what i spend a lot of time doing right now is i just focus on the process um you know, my company, we're at a place with my company where, like, we don't know, right? We could be really successful. That's still an option. And we could fall flat on our face and fail. And, and that's still an option. Um, and, and largely, that's going to be dictated by a lot of things that are somewhat outside of my control, right? But we, you know, I, I, I get up every morning and I say the serenity prayer, made famous by Alcoholics Anonymous, but anyone can use it, Right. And it's just, you know, control what you can control um, and 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 figure out what the next right thing to do is and do that. And just don't worry about the outcomes. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think in two ways that's beneficial, right? One is I think that's probably right, right? I think if you just do the, the next right thing on an everyday basis, more times than not, you're going to be successful. But if it doesn't work out, right you also can can fail knowing that you kind of left it all on the field and that's equally important to me right which is like this might not work out right and i might go get a different job and you know not be able to do what i think my life's passion is like that that could could be the case but if i can do that knowing that that i left everything on the field, so to speak, right? That, that I did everything I could to make this happen and it just didn't work out. You know, I can go on with the rest of my life peacefully. Um, I think it will be brutal if, <laughs> if our company fails and, you know, there were things that I think I, I, I could have put more effort into. Yeah, you left maybe, out on the field. Yeah, right, like I just didn't try hard enough. Yeah. Um, but that's the whole thing, right? Is that yeah. like, it's like you regret what you don't do. You look back, you know, I remember even just chasing down potential early blurbs on our book, you know, people that, you know, I thought would really like it that had influence or that I thought, you know, would find it meaningful. And I didn't actually care what they thought. I just wanted to give it to them. I wanted to deliver the manuscript because at that point it was out of my hands, but I could look back and say, yeah, you know what? I gave it to X, Y, and Z. And it turns out, uh, none of them liked it, but at least I tried for the best possible reasons for the best possible people. And fortunately, we we got to the, everybody I, I was really excited about, and they felt 
you know, good about the book, but it, it almost didn't matter. The outcome wasn't important. It was what I could control. And so that really resonates. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a big part of it, right? Which is just, you know, do your best and, and you know, let the cards w fall where they may. And, uh, you know, that, that, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like awesome advice. But it's just the reality when when you're taking a chance in life, right? Is you you there? Sometimes you're going to succeed and sometimes you're going to fail. And when you succeed, it's awesome. And when you fail, it sucks. But if you if you fail, knowing that that you did your best, um, you can live with it, right? And and, and I think that's. Uh, something that everyone who's who's considering making a major jump in their life has to think about right they, they they have to think about the fact that you know this is a risk and maybe it'll work out and maybe it won't but am i going to be okay if it doesn't work out and i know for me personally right when i think about the jump that i made to start this company um and i think about the risk reward profile I would rather start this company and fail than not have started this company and have to live the rest of my life thinking about what if I had started, tried to start a company, right? Right. And, uh, you know, that means that, you know, it gives me a lot of peace, right? Because I know I made the right decision, right? Now, whether it works out or not, I don't know, but I made the right decision. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, you know, moving forward with life, whatever direction that might take me, I, uh, I, I think I, you know, there's some peace of mind that comes with that. Yeah, especially when you can say, "Here is what I can do to 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 best put my, you know, foot forward on this, and I'm going to do it." And here are the things that are out of my control. I think uh, I mentioned this book on the an episode with Manu Somarodi on the podcast early on. I think it was episode three. This book, um, the Surrender Experiment. It's like surrendering to what you can't control really. Yeah. And, then, and taking taking ownership and agency of what you can. And I think that means jumping into a totally uncertain risk heavy startup because you know, that's what you should be trying to do right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I, I think it's just part of the process. Right. And, uh, and I, th I, I think that's, uh, it's a great book that everyone should read, uh, because it's just reality, right? It's, uh, you know, no matter how hard you try, when you take a big risk, there's gonna be aspects of success and failure that are outside of your control. And sometimes, you know, people who do all the right things fail. And, uh, you know, that's just something you have to acknowledge when, when you sign up to, to do whatever it is you're gonna go do. And you gotta be okay with that because it's just reality, right? And I think the the earlier you're honest with yourself about that, the better things will turn out. Totally. And in the one sentence, you know, elevator pitch of what you guys do, tell us a little bit about this company and, and why, you know, why it's going to change the world of clean energy. Yeah. So the way electricity works right now is based on this big antiquated central grid infrastructure. And myself and my co-founders and the team of people we have don't think that a hundred years from now, there's going to be a central grid. Uh, people are going to make electricity at the facility level, right? So just like you have a hot water boiler in your house that makes hot water, we don't have a network of hot water pipes. Um, you're going to have, uh, 
electric generators that are part of your house and part of your office building. And uh, we're in the very early stages of that transition right now. So our company builds microgrids, which are uh, small power plants that power commercial and industrial facilities. And we do it in some interesting industries that, that need that. Um, as you know, our, uh, one of our big target focus industries is cannabis cultivation. So as cannabis becomes legal, they build these big indoor farms and uh, they use a ton of electricity. It's actually, cannabis is terrible for the environment status quo, we're trying to make it better. Um, you know, but that's, you know, maybe a good thing to end on. I mean, when I talk about there are some things you can't control, I mean, we literally wrote a business plan thinking about all these different scenarios and, and playing all these different, you know, trying to play sort of three-dimensional chess. And the one thing we didn't account for was that Jeff Sessions was going to be the attorney general of the United States. Um, right. And so we, start, we started a company in officially incorporated in October 2016. And a month later, our business plan didn't look so good, right? And so... Um, we've had to pivot and scrap and hustle and go do jobs that I don't know, we didn't really think we wanted to do before, but it's a way to, you know, keep our company alive. And, um, and then, you know, we over time have sort of figured out some, some new and, and cool ways to apply our technology. And, uh, you know, th things are, things are looking up, but, um, you know, we're still in the stage of a company where, uh, <laughs> you know, any week could, could be our last week if things don't go well. So, um, you know, it's been a struggle, right? But again, if, if you're really doing the thing that you think you're put on the earth to do, uh, then you just kind of roll with the punches. You don't get too depressed about it. You don't spend too much time dwelling on what didn't go right because you want so badly for this thing that, that you're doing to work out that you don't really have time to dwell on the past, right? And, and I think, you know, maybe that those are sort of good parting words is if I could go back and change one thing about my life, you know, during that two year period that I described as the hardest two years of my life, I would change the amount of time I spent worrying about the fact that I didn't know what to do, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I don't know, you know, sum it up, but I lost months of my life to like laying in my bed and being upset because I didn't know what the next thing was. And if I had spent that time not worrying or feeling sorry for myself or regretting what, I, what things I couldn't change, um, I think I would have gotten to the place I got to faster. And, and, you know, that's my only regret from that experience. And so, you know, for people who are struggling with that, I think like, be action oriented, right? Go out and try to figure it out and get up every day and try to figure it out and do things. Don't sit around and, and dwell on what, what you don't have. Yeah, Tim Hayde, I appreciate you being on this. I know that my sister would have forced you to come on even if you didn't offer, but I appreciate you coming on on your own volition and sharing your jump from uh, being a captain in the United States Air Force to starting a company aiming to rethink how we uh, go about powering our homes and our lives. Uh, Tim Hay, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Mikey, and uh, keep it going, man. This is awesome. All right, that'll do it for our conversation this week on the When to Jump podcast with Tim Hayde. 
For more on Tim's company, you can check out scalemicrogridsolutions.com and learn more about what they're doing in the energy space. For more on when to jump, you know where to find us, whentojump.com, on social, at whentojump, across Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everything there. If you got a story to share, you can record it and send it in to when to jump podcast all one word at mcmillan m-a-c-m-i-l-l-a-n.com really been fun hearing from all of our listeners let's take a listen to one of our stories this week my name is fanella wild i live in atlanta georgia and i recently made a career jump and i decided to jump from one broker to a different broker back in the end of october after a 12-year tenure at my original firm I just felt it was time it was a big risk for me to take I left behind a three million dollar block of business and I'm basically starting from scratch but I believe in my new employer I believe in my new CEO and I'm excited about the future it's hard and I just needed some encouragement and I needed to trust someone which I do with my new CEO and I needed a little push which I got from my husband so it's been a great an interesting time for me over the past 60 days and I think if you feel like you need to jump then you should jump one last message before I let you go as a heads up the when to jump book tour will be kicking off January 9th when we release worldwide and hold an event in Palo Alto live in conversation with Cheryl Sandberg on January 10th we'll be in New York City in partnership with Lululemon and Vice Media And on January 16th, we'll be in Boston at Harpoon Brewery for a big launch event there. For more information on all of these events, just check out whentojump.com slash book tour. And you can grab tickets there. All right, that's enough from me. I'm Mike Lewis, and I will see you next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.